time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. It's Tracy Silverman, your host of the For the Greater Groove podcast, the place where we talk about grooving and chopping and strumming and all that cool stuff, and we hang with the cool kids. And today, we're definitely going to be hanging with one of the cool kids. This is actually one of the youngest uh, interviewees on this show, just graduated from the Berklee College of Music just a few days ago. And we're going to find out what that experience was like for her, what it's like entering the, um, you know, a music career fresh out of school and all kinds of other stuff, because I've got Mia Asano on the show today. Hi. And let me tell you a little bit about Mia, if you are one of the few people who are not already following her on TikTok or Insta or YouTube. Mia is an electric violinist from Denver who now lives in Boston. And she has toured with the Viking rock band Nordic <laughs> Daughter. <laughs> yes, performed with Lindsey Sterling and has played at Carnegie Hall twice. And while she was still in school, she was on the faculty of the Markwood Rock Orchestra Camp where I teach as well. So that's pretty cool. And I read in an interview somewhere where you said, you believe wholeheartedly, or maybe this was from your website, in <laughs> breaking boundaries and sharing every aspect of what the violin is capable of. And that resonates with me for sure. And what she is capable of is... 10.5 million views on TikTok and counting. It's probably 11 by now. Uh, for a, a, a video, one of the first videos I believe that you ever did. Is that correct? Yeah, Perhaps? it was like the third one I ever posted and, and then yeah. it viral and now here we are. Crazy, crazy. Um, a tune called Roses by St. John uh, and... Uh, has 10 and a half or more million views, uh, 3 million views on Instagram. That's a lot of views for Instagram. Currently, you have over, over, uh, what's it, how many 3 million viewer, viewer, uh, followers on TikTok or a million followers on TikTok? Some crazy number. I think it's like 1.2 million on TikTok. 1.2 million, <laughs> 350,000 on Insta. Um, and all that momentum has allowed her to release her first single called Lunar, mm -hmm. which came out in October of last year on Spotify. And it's opened up all kinds of doors for Mia, for artistic collaborations that are blowing her mind and just, um, uh, she's super thrilled about all of this stuff and she's gonna tell us about it. Uh, and you just played your first show last week. 
uh, yes. just a few days ago in Boston, your first show since the pandemic. And how'd it go? How was all that? It went great. It was so it was my first official show as Mia Asano ever since all this stuff went viral. Um, yeah. I've been playing in other people's bands for a really long time, but I've kind of always had my own band rehearsing and making videos and stuff. We've never done anything live. So um, it was actually it, I tried to have it double as my first big show in Boston, but it was also my senior recital um, and my <laughs> capstone project because I'm, I'm a dual major. Nice. So I had to do both. So yeah, I combined everything into one and then we were offered a second show. So it was actually two sold out shows that doubled as my senior recital and it, it went really well. <laughs> Super cool. Super cool. Um, and I I'm curious, you know, like, because uh, you were doing some of this non-traditional stuff. You started out when you were five years old playing classical music, doing Suzuki, yeah. I believe, correct? Yeah. And, um, uh, but you kind of started getting interested in non-classical stuff. I think I read when you were 13 years old, you got your first electric, is that right? Yes. After that moment, I was like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Um, and <laughs> that, that was it. Beautiful, beautiful. What kind of electric was that? It was a Cecilio that I got on Craigslist. And I met this woman in an alley of a grocery store. And she <laughs> gave it to me. I, I bought it from her. And, um, and I didn't have an amp, so I plugged it into my electric piano. And I was so excited. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, that one, I had that for, like, a couple of years. And then when I turned 16, I got, like, an actual electric violin um, that was, like, of better quality. Um, <laughs> that you didn't I, have to buy in a, in a back alley somewhere? Yeah, I actually traveled to Ojai, California for this one. It's um, <laughs> brand is a liquid violin. And the guy oh, who nice. makes them, Brandon McDougall, he, like, designs the ships for Star Trek and also makes electric violins. Um, so I got that. And then wow. a few years later, I transitioned over to the Viper that you see me use now. Right. And that's a seven string, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I heard you speaking about that on a, on a TikTok. Mm -hmm. uh, and you were explaining to folks why it has seven strings and, you know, why you prefer seven string. And maybe you'd like to uh, elaborate just a little bit about that. Yeah, I was actually, I remember I asked you and a bunch of other people when I was trying to decide between six and seven strings. I knew I wanted extended range because um, my previous electric violin had five strings. But I was asking all these different violinists, what do they prefer? And everyone has a different um, preference for different reasons. Um, and I ended up choosing the seven string because I figured I had a unique opportunity to get an instrument with that type of range. And I wanted to have the whole world open to me to explore. Uh, and I'm really glad I went with it. Like, it's really, I consider it a totally different instrument than my acoustic, which I still play every day. And that's, you know, four strings and the seven string, it's like a totally different beast. Uh, and yeah. so kind of, it's, it's been a huge learning curve for me, like learning how to play on those low strings, but it's opened up so many doors. Cause like my looping yeah. has, um, improved a lot. And, um, you know, when I record, I can, I can take on viola and cello parts and, um, right. It's just a lot more fun, uh, at least for the when in terms of experimentation. Um, and it, it definitely has there's a lot like there's a whole world of opportunity that's opened that I haven't even explored yet, you know. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing for me when I started doing that um, back in the 80s mm -hmm. um, was <laughs> was that I, I it opened up the possibility of playing chords. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the biggest thing for me to be able to 
to play either power chords or, you know, three note chords just uh, to be able to to help dictate the the chords the harmony for my band you know uh to be the guitar player and to play those chords uh, besides the bass player uh and it's just something that you can't really do convincingly with a four string because you just need that lower register yeah um, yeah that's helped yeah. a lot with that and transcribing like i can actually do an entire guitar solo the way that they did it instead of having to take it up an octave in certain parts of it that's been, right yeah it's, it's great when you're trying to be a guitar it's very helpful exactly exactly so we're basically with a six string matching the guitar range and with a seven string going down up pretty much a fifth below the guitar so yep. like kind of like the baritone the old baritone guitars um very cool and who was uh, how did you learn how to chop where did you uh, who who taught you that just curious. I and was when? Taught, yeah, it was in it was in like middle school because I went I went to an arts high school in Denver and they would bring guest artists in um, to the program. So um, I had been learning. It, it's sort of in every guest artist masterclass they would be like, oh yeah, and this is chopping, um, and they would never really <laughs> elaborate on it. And I got very obsessed with it. And I think when it really hit home for me was when Christian Howes came through um, and he was giving a class and and. That was when improv and chopping really became exciting to me. And then I was also doing a lot of um, like fiddle bluegrass stuff at the time. So I was studying with a bunch of different people um, and, you know, chopping is a very important part of that. So I was just refining it. And I remember I had these like little chopping exercises I would work on in my notebook. And, um, and I just decided I really wanted to get better at it. Um, and that was, but I didn't know anything about groove. I just was like, oh yeah, this is a cool thing that a cool effect I can do on the violin. And then, um, over the years in, in working with a bunch of different people, um, I learned the importance of how to incorporate the chop into the groove and, and how it really can affect the song. It's not just about making the percussive sound. So that's helped a lot. I'm curious um, how far along with all of that non-classical stuff you were when you first auditioned for Berkeley, when you decided to go there. And also, what was that choice like? Um, were there other schools you were thinking about? How hard was it to find a place that you felt was the right place for you? And, uh, and how prepared were you f f at that time for Berkeley? Um, oh my gosh, I have so many things to say. Um, oh, good. <laughs> I first found out about Berkeley when Julie Lyon Lieberman came in and did a master class at, and I was in middle school. I was in the eighth grade, and she gave us a master class um, on her NS Designs electric violin. And um, yeah, and I asked her. I was like, "Hey, if I wanted to go to college for um, alternative string playing, where would be a place to go?" And she basically she said Berkeley or Belmont. Like those, that was yeah. the answer she gave me. And so I was like, "Okay, Berkeley or Belmont." So I started looking into both of those programs. Um, and, and this was when I was in middle school. That was the first time I'd ever heard of a, a music college that had opportunities for the type of string playing I wanted to go into. And this was, that was the year, eighth grade was the year that I discovered that you don't have to just play classical on the violin. So it was a very <laughs> transformative time. Um, and then over the next few years, I started looking into a bunch of different programs and I got pretty well acquainted with the people over at USC as well. Um, and so mm -hmm. when it came time to audition for colleges, um, well, the summer before my senior year of high school, I did the Berkeley five-week program, 
um, and I got a scholarship while I was there because you audition while you're there. And so I hadn't even applied to Berkeley yet, but I had a scholarship and I was like, OK. And then they happened to be coming through Denver and they were holding auditions. Berkeley was holding auditions at my high school. Um, oh, wow. Like, yeah, it was really convenient. So I was like, OK, might as well audition <laughs> again um, and ask for a bigger scholarship. And, and at that point, I had gotten better. So um, I guess right around the time I first auditioned for Berkeley, you know, I was um, pretty deep in the pop rock thing, the Viking rock band. I was playing at fashion shows um, and doing that. And then I was doing a lot of fiddle stuff because I was in a bluegrass band. Um, and this was right before I started playing jazz. So I had not played jazz before ever. Um, and that was when I first auditioned for Berkeley. A few months later, when they came through my high school, um, I had joined the the jazz big band in my in my high school um, and had been doing like other things. So um, at that point, I I was able to come back to Berkeley and be like, hey, I actually am better at music now, and um, I'm starting to explore all these other paths. Um, please please give me a more scholarship. So then I was really torn because I also auditioned at USC um, and. I got in there as well and I, I only think I auditioned at like three schools because um, the whole process of auditioning for college was really overwhelming for me like really overwhelming um, so yeah. I auditioned at Berkeley USC and CU Boulder um, and so USC called me like the day before I was supposed to um, make my decision because I was still really torn between there and Berkeley and they were like hey like this is everything we can offer you um, and and I was like oh my god I don't know what to do <laughs> Uh, so what ended up happening is I, I decided Berkeley because I felt I had such a strong community that I had, had met through the five week program, um, a lot of the professors, um, and I wanted like that really well-rounded um, like musical, yeah. um, like the, the well-rounded musicality that Berkeley would offer and um, USC had that as well, but I would have only been um, a popular music major. And I was like, that's what I want to do as a career, but I also want to um, like study with all the different professors at Berkeley. So um, I also, yeah. at the time, was really scared of LA. And I, I knew that in Boston, I had a, a core group of people like and a network there already that would kind of support me because I was going through a rough time. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll go to Berkeley. I'll get as good as I can possibly be at the violin. And then um, when the time is right, if I still want to go to LA, there's, um, you know, I can do that. But that's the story right. of how I ended up doing what I what I do. Very cool. And and I'm sure you had a lot of hopes when you first came into Berkeley about what you were going to work on, what you were going to learn, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, where you're where you would be in four years. And I'm just curious now that you're on the other side of that, mm -hmm. um, you know, what it what it feels like, what what of those expectations were met, which ones maybe weren't, and which ones were exceeded, what what kind of stuff did you have no idea you would, you know, that now you're grateful for, or things like that? Yeah, um, well, when I, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, but when I left high school, I had quite a little ego. Um, it was a big fish in a small pond situation. Um, yeah. And also I had a lot of, of uh, opportunities in high school um, that were great, but I, I just, I wanted to be famous really bad. Like that was my dream. Um, and that I was like- Famous I, how? Like what kind of famous? There's, um, a of, there's a lot of versions of famous these days. I wanted to be like pop star famous, like playing stadiums, you know, on, on the TV famous. Like, but like- As, with a, my, violinist, as a violinist, as a singer. Um, yeah, I was trying to do the Lindsey Sterling thing, but with my own music. Like, that was my high school vision, right? Um, 
yeah and and because i had played with her that year um i was like i had this vision in my head of like okay stadium of 8000 people that's the dream um and so i was like but again with my own music and with my own musical voice but at the time i didn't know what that even meant because like i was a dumb little high schooler that i didn't know what i didn't know um and you know <laughs> i had opportunities but um when i got to berkeley it was really humbling um I like to say, but uh, the the yeah. more realistic way is that basically my whole ego just got destroyed the minute I got there. Um, <laughs> everyone there is as good as you or better. Um, you're yeah. no longer a big fish, and it's really hard to like differentiate yourself and and find the the value in yourself as a musician when everyone is the same, like really good. Um, you know, I had just as not to interrupt you, but I yeah. had the same experience when I went to Juilliard. I was kind of the <laughs> from a small town, the big fish and got there. And I was in the same, you know, class as Bobby McDuffie and, and yeah. Nigel Kennedy and Jimmy Lynn and Nadia Salerno Sonnenberg. Anyway, yeah, no pressure. Yeah, it's, right. it was, it, but it's, I think everyone's feeling that cause I'm, uh, I, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people over the years and I've tried to kind of figure out this music school phenomenon, but everyone is feeling the same way about everyone else. And everyone is really insecure and thinks that they suck and thinks that everyone else is better than them. But then those people are feeling the same way. And so, like, it's it's just funny because, you know, I, what I went through, everyone else was going through, but I had no idea. Um, yeah. I just thought I was the worst and that everyone was great. And so, um, and I was going through a rough time in life for a lot of reasons. Like, um, so it was just like a really kind of like a huge wake up call slash culture shock for me, like showing up at music school, um, you know, being in these classes that are really demanding and overwhelming, um, learning all this stuff about music, being surrounded by amazing players. Um, and so everything that I knew about myself, I kind of like broke down and, and I, but because I was going through a difficult time, I wouldn't take any opportunities because I was too scared to do anything yeah. because I thought yeah. I wasn't good enough. And I had some like jam sessions that went really bad and then I was like scared to improvise and you know that type of thing um and it was really an interesting experience because it was like okay a year before that at five week I was worse arguably at the violin but I was right. very successful there I made quite a splash everyone um I had like a great time and I wasn't scared at all and I was so yeah. I looked at myself during a practice room breakdown at midnight that I had and I was like what's different now like why am I so miserable when like I used to be so happy and um I realized the difference was that during my freshman year at Berkeley I I guess over the course of my senior year of high school being in the jazz band that was very um this particular group of people was very judgmental and it was very um you know and and uh, I really wanted to fit in, even though I wasn't like a jazz guy. Uh, yeah. And and then showing up at Berkeley, um, what had changed was I stopped playing music because I loved it. Um, and I had started playing music because I wanted to impress other musicians. And I like realized that in the practice when I was like, oh my God. Um, and then the rest of my time at Berkeley was me attempting to find a way to make music something for me again and something that I love and reconnect with the reason I started pursuing it, um, mm -hmm. which was that I want to perform and I want to help people and make people happy. And also I want to play music that I love with people I love. 
And I realized that um, in my third semester at Berkeley, I went to Spain um, and was doing, I was studying abroad there and, and it was a very introspective time for me. Um, and that was kind of the revelation I had there. So I was like, okay, I don't want to be famous. I don't care about that. That's not my goal anymore because what's the point of fame if you know you hate the music you're doing and, and you're not fulfilled and I'm here at Berkeley to get better at the violin. Um, and so I want to be good at the violin. I don't want to trick people into thinking that I'm better than I am and, and get, try to get people to think that I'm famous or whatever, whatever I was doing yeah. in high school. So I come back and I start saying yes to every opportunity. Um, that was my thing. I was like, just say yes to everything for a couple months and see where it takes you. And I ended up in like a million scary situations and I pushed yeah. through and did it anyway. And then I started getting better um, very quickly because I was surrounded by really good players and I was doing the thing. Um, and then the pandemic happened and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, um, oh, man. Yeah, but I kept the say yes to everything mentality and I said yes to being the video editor for my um, quartet, which was the Turtle Island String Quartet Ensemble. So I start um, editing <laughs> all of our videos. Um, I start learning how to video edit. I start learning how to mix my audio. I participate in every single video collab I can possibly do, um, starting with Matt Bell's Hallelujah cover. Um, and that was the first one. And then I said yes to every single one. So I was doing like dozens and dozens of collabs and I was recording every day. Um, and then the TikTok thing came from me going through another bout of like really bad imposter syndrome after I got my first big like endorsement. Um, and I was like, I'm not good enough for this and blah, 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 because you know, I, it comes in waves, the, the self-confidence. So I was like, oh, I'm not good enough. And, um, and I realized again, I'd kind of fallen into doing everything that other people wanted me to do. And I, it had been a really long time since I played music that I loved. So I was like, okay, I got to start playing music that I love again. So, so I just want to interrupt you one quick sec. Yeah. Hold your thought. Yeah. But what, what you say you, you were playing music to impress other people. What kind of music are we talking about? Is that mostly jazz? Um, for me, it was, I felt like, um, yeah, basically, yes. Um, there's no, I, and jazz is great. Like, I have a deep respect for it, and I've studied it my whole time at Berkeley. Um, and a lot of the curriculum is based on studying jazz. Um, yeah. And that's... Yeah, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, and it's great. Like, it's it's really important to know it. And But the problem is that I, I sort of twisted it around in my head and also based on, um, again, kind of my high school experiences. Um, I felt like in order to be like good enough, I needed to be really good at like ripping over some bebop yep. changes. Yep. Um, yep. You know, this is, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, please. I was just going to say, this is something that I've, uh, I've seen with a number of students uh, at Belmont, you know, they come in and they have all these great ideas and they're, you know, they're doing like bluegrassy kind of, you know, whatever pop, yeah. you know, original stuff. Um, and, you know, they're, they're excelling at being themselves. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to like, okay, let's work on, you know, like some jazz two, five ones and blah, blah, blah. And, and these forms and, uh, you know, rhythm changes. And for a lot of students, it's just not where really what they're interested in. They yeah. know that they should learn it because it's, you know, it's, it's useful and helpful. And yeah. I know as a teacher that it's going to help them, mm -hmm. but it's this tricky thing of, uh, it's, 
it's not only what they're not really interested, but it's intimidating. And, and because it's not what a lot of young people are listening to or brought up, you know, playing or listening to, it's very much like a foreign language, yeah. uh, which makes it even more intimidating. So yeah. just saying, um, you know, I think your, your, your story isn't uncommon from what I've seen in terms of the way students react mm -hmm. to, to that. And it's very understandable. Well, thank you for saying that you, yeah, you basically put into words the exact feeling that I was going through for, um, I guess, the first two, two and a half years um, in school. And again, yeah. it's like I, I was there to get better and I was working with some of the greatest jazz violinists and I wanted to take right. those opportunities. Um, but the problem was that I was not evening out, like balancing it out with music that makes me want to do music. So right. I was like only focusing on like the, the the shedding the changes stuff and like trying to get better at jazz and i wasn't playing stuff that like yeah. was fulfilling to me musically so um i looked around and was like wow like what am i i kind of became awakened to it one day mid pandemic um and i was like oh my god i've been spending so long one trying to impress other musicians and two um trying to get good at this thing that isn't the thing that i want to pursue um as of my career and without doing the thing that I love in addition to it, you know, yep. um, trying to find that balance. It's a balance because you, obviously you got to like do the like classical music, jazz music. Those are such a foundation of everything and, and, and really like inform the, the rest of the music that I do. Um, and so like, obviously I want to work on it, but when it's the only thing you're working on for two years, um, yeah. and it, and your heart's not in it. Um, so I decided, I was like, oh my God, I need to start, um, doing music for me again. So I, and then I was scrolling on TikTok, and this was after I had already deleted it like twice. And I thought it was like the dumbest app. Um, and it also was like taking up so much of my time. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny you deleted um, it twice. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, this, this is such a waste of my time. And, um, but That's I had for to... kids. You're a <laughs> well, college graduate. That's what you think. <laughs> or, because or a college like... junior. <laughs> you know, it has like a stigma about it that I definitely played into. And there's like a certain type of um, person, especially musicians, I see that kind of like, they're like, oh, haha, I would, I'm not going to use that. Um, because people think that it's just like a bunch of little kids like dancing on this app. And at the right. time, I, right. that's what I thought. Um, yeah. So I was like, well, there's all these dumb dancing trends on TikTok. Um, and I had this idea and I was like, oh my God, what if I took those trends, but I did them as like electric violin covers. And I wrote it down on a sticky note that I have Right now it's framed on my desk, but I actually stuck it on my wall. Um, and then my, awesome. my bagpiper bandmate just gave me this little frame as a graduation present. And I'm, I'm never going to throw <laughs> the sticky note away. But the sticky note says, brilliant idea. Do the TikTok trends on electric violin. Find a way. Um, <laughs> stuck it on my wall. And, um, and then every single day I would find a trend and I would do the trend um, on electric violin secretly like on TikTok, like I wasn't really telling anyone about it um just kind of in an attempt to find myself again and like I think in the back of my head I was like oh yeah it'd be nice if this went viral but I wasn't really like intending for that right <laughs> and like the third video that I posted um the trend was use St. John's song roses um like in your video and stand there and do nothing 
and your it'll blow up your video and make oh that. that's why you said it says to do nothing but who can just stand here that was yeah. the try yeah which is this is the stupidest <laughs> thing ever so i was like i'm not gonna stand there and do nothing i'm gonna cover it and i like i had my violin lesson um with david wallace and then i get off that lesson and i record the song in like a half hour and i like edit it together and i just like throw it up on the tiktok And I go to TJ Maxx with my friend and to buy candles. And as I'm buying the candles, I check TikTok and it's at like 36,000 views. Your phone like, is oh just God. blowing up. Yeah. And then by the end of the night, it was at 2 million views. And the next morning I woke up and I had 100,000 followers and I didn't know what to do. So I went to Trader Joe's and I cried. Um, <laughs> because, and this is why I tell I'm, you know, launching into my whole story based on your question from probably like an hour ago, but um, <laughs> what the reason that that's so meaningful to me is 100,000 was kind of the number that to me represented like the success that I was looking yeah. for in high school, because that was always a number that seemed very unattainable. Um, and that deemed like, I was like, that's a milestone that that means something. And so to literally yeah. get that overnight, I was like, oh, like now what? Um, wow. and now <laughs> 1.2 million followers later, um, I'm looking at my life and all the opportunities that I've had over the last couple of years as a result of social media. And I'm like literally living my dream that I had in eighth grade um, wow. when I was getting inspired by like you and like David Garrett and two cellos and like all these people Lindsay. that um, Vanessa May. Um, Lindsay Sterling. Yeah, definitely at the, um, you know, all these people that I've been so just like inspired by oh and then like i mean obviously christian how is mark wood like all the people that um you know were doing the electric violin thing and i wanted that and now it's like here i am like getting to work with my heroes and getting to like teach alongside them and getting to like be yep. on this podcast and it's like all these crazy things that all stemmed <laughs> from this whole journey that i've had um but it's so i'm like looking at my life and i'm like wow i'm living my exact dream that i had but I'm not living the dream because I pursued that dream to the fullest. I'm living the dream because I like went through a really hard time, let go of the dream, focused on the importance of music, and then everything that I wanted happened. But it was once I started like being authentic to myself, getting really real on like what I actually want to do with my life and, and what my actual purpose is as an, an artist, um, and then letting go of the fame thing, focusing on get better at violin and do violin in a meaningful way to me. And then now I'm doing the thing that I wanted to do. So that's that's the whole story. And that's the answer to your question. It's a really long answer. <laughs> bravo, bravo. I'm curious how different your goals are now coming out of college from what they were when you were coming out of high school. Your dream was to, you know, play 5,000 seat arenas like Lindsey Sterling and, you know, uh, has that changed at all or is that the same, pretty much the same on track to the same goal? It, like yes and no, it's, it's, it's fluctuated, I'd say. Um, my, my dream coming out of high school, like I mentioned before, was get famous. And now that, that term doesn't even like, I, I don't, I don't even like, to, I don't think about it that way at all. I don't, I don't really like to even say that word because like um i don't think that's what what your goal as an artist like should, i mean if, if that's what someone wants to do then 
like all, all power to them. But personally, I don't I don't want that to be my goal in life. Um, I think the biggest difference between now versus four years ago, um, I've matured a lot. And, and honestly, I just want to like have a peaceful life. Like that's my bigger goal. Like I'm not even thinking about like music as the forefront because it's been a really rough four years for like a lot of reasons. Um, and it's been a really difficult summer if I'm, if I'm being honest, because you know, I've had one foot out the door, um, at Berkeley for the last yeah. two years. Um, and a lot of people ask me like, why are you even finishing at Berkeley? Because you have your career. Like at, at this point, you want to just focus on right. that. And, um, I think if I had like dropped out or left, um, I would have had a lot more time to focus on this thing that I'm doing. Um, and I wouldn't have experienced as much burnout because I've, I've been kind of, I'm, I'm just now getting out of a, a particularly bad burnout yeah. um, that has lasted for like a month um, and, and was triggered because I got COVID and, you know, and, and then I had to finish college oh, and I had to put on these two big shows and, um, and then all, oh yeah, it's just God. been Talk like a, a pile on. Yeah. I've, I've been like kind of spread thin and I was running on fumes and then I did another semester of college. So um, yeah. it was, it was, um, you know, so I, I think my priorities again have really shifted to like trying to live a somewhat holistic life in that I can get enough sleep and I can like have a social life and I can like enjoy my life instead of just working all the time. Cause that's what I kind of am known to do. Yeah. And it's really bad. So like, um, it, it has been really bad for my, my mental health. Um, so like I still have really big ambitions. I, I want to take my band around the country, and um, based on these for the response to these first two shows, it, it seems like um, something that seems very possible. I want to make videos. Yeah. That's my big passion. Like I love creating and collaborating with people, um, and so I have like all these goals, um, and I want to. I want to still do the huge performance, like wide scale performance thingy. Um, but I want to do it in a way that's healthy. And so my, what's different between now and, um, four years ago is that I've just been trying to get through college and, and get the most out of it that I can. Cause it, it was really important to me to get my degree. Um, and, and I, I did a double major, um, and I did a five year double major yeah. in four years, which, um, was, ah, yeah, oh you gosh. know, on top of being a full-time social media yeah, Um, so it was content creator because that's a full-time yeah. job people don't realize that because they see little you know 15 second video on tiktok or 60 second or something on instagram and they think oh how long could that take you you know you could knock out two dozen of those yeah. in a day and it doesn't, it's <laughs> right? so much harder than that and that's the other that's a whole other um, thing yeah. that we should talk about is um but it's yeah. it's crazy like I used to it used to take me an hour to do every single video um and a lot of that was because I got so many hate comments um from people um that I needed them yeah. to be perfect so that nobody would have any room to like cause have issues with it. so I would do like so many takes trying to get it perfect um now I I can bang them out pretty quickly but um because I let go of a lot of the perfectionism thing Yep. Which yep. Um, is took a, took a while, but um, you know, it still takes so much time and effort, and then editing them and posting them and keeping up with the trends and um, you know learning the stuff. And and I've gotten a lot better as a musician by doing all that because what it did was it taught me it taught me how to transcribe really fast. 
Um, it taught me like <laughs> my ear improved like crazy. Um, my intonation had to get a lot better so that I could do the takes faster. Um, so, uh, so I wasn't getting caught up in like little one note things. Like I've just, I've, I've improved so much just and my performance abilities have improved a lot by, um, you know, yeah. they should teach it as a course. They should. And I, <laughs> I have, and I, I would like, I, I wish that they had, cause a lot of, um, the curriculum at a lot of schools is really outdated. You know, they're still teaching you about record labels and they don't even mention TikTok, but it's flipped so much yeah. and TikTok yeah. is building people's careers. You know, it, this this brings up a really good point. If you don't mind me um, yeah. sidetracking you for a second, because um, I, I do want to get back to yeah, like the so details of, of this yeah. content creation, but um, but you kind of hit on an interesting point there, and that is because uh, I've talked about this with other guests. What could conservatories like Berkeley um, do to help prepare string players? What what or uh, or other musicians, you know, you were just there. What were some of the sort of wish list or suggestion box things that you would want to give them? Like, hey, you guys should do this, or you know, why don't you have a class in yeah. this, or um, anything top of mind that you can think of that might be uh, something that hopefully they might. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that they were that they offer, but I think should, it should be taken advantage of more, or it could be offered more like um a really big one is how to record yourself um especially in an at-home studio situation and then how to mix your own audio on a very basic level but i didn't like specifically learn that from berkeley like i i took some production classes um but i didn't learn that in my performance major because in the performance major you're learning how to perform and you're playing in as many ensembles as you can and you're studying with all the teachers um but i think within that track it would have been really helpful if they had a specific um sort of class that was like this is what mic sounds good with the violin um or let's find the, the best mic for your violin um this is how to record yourself yeah. at home because i took a class like this um that was very helpful called recording techniques for string players but it was it was more about like how to um operate like in a studio um and right. and that's something else that's really important like learning about studio etiquette learning like how sure. to how to like be in a session, um, and that's something I I got a lot of experience at um, experience with at Berkeley. But um, the at home thing is so vital now, and everyone's doing it. And the majority of my work, like I've been like a a guest violinist on a bunch of different people's recordings, and I recorded it all in my little setup, like in my room with my little mic yep. and my and Logic. Um, but I kind of had to seek out learning how to do the production thing, um, like learning how to take the production thing a step further. And also mixing violin is very different than mixing other instruments. Um, and so learning how to get the best sound for your instrument, I think is really, really yeah. vital for everyone, like even for classical players, because you're, you're gonna be in situations where you're gonna need to record yourself. Um, so I wish conservatories slash music colleges put like a big, a bigger focus on that. And then also, um, like branding yourself as an artist because um you know especially as a string player it's you know sometimes a lot of the time you find yourself in a section and you're one of like a bunch of people um but you know a lot of us are trying to do right. our own solo thing as well and that that doesn't take away from like who you are as a as a musician um and we live in such a digital world right now um you know i'm not saying everyone should be posting on social media because i don't i don't believe that i believe 
it's not for everyone. And, and if it's not for you, I don't think you should waste your time doing it. But I think it's important to know the benefits of it because a lot of people have a mental block about it. Yeah. And a lot of people think, oh, I can just be really yeah. good practicing alone in my room for six hours a day. And it's like, yeah, great. You got really good. But like, what are you doing with that? Nobody knows that you're just practicing all the time. Um, so having some sort of opportunity to like, um, learn how to, how to put yourself out there, if that's something you want or learning the importance of branding and social yeah. media and marketing yourself and networking and how to, um, also just a general one is professionalism. Like they, you kind of learn it through experience, but I wish like, like I really, the way I got through Berkeley was not by being the best one in the room, but it was by being the most prepared person in the room. And I, I had to learn that on my own, but that's like, I would often be like, definitely not the best musician. Like there would be like these killer players, but I would just practice the parts and I would make sure I knew everything before showing up to rehearsal. And therefore I was always like the best finger quotations one, but it was only because I had actually bothered to learn the music. It wasn't because I was the best player. Yeah. So like, it's all these things that you learn through experience, but, um, but I think, I think it should be said out loud in some capacity during during your time at music school because those are like the most valuable things I learned. Um, and again, Berkeley like touches on them. Certain pro, I'm sure certain schools like have programs for them, but they don't really do a deep dive into it, especially the social media thing. Yeah, the whole idea of you know being a, being a musician these days is really to be uh, an entrepreneur in some form yeah. or another. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and to ignore social media in that context is kind of silly because i mean social media is the main me you know media that various yeah. various platforms um that people use to communicate and to promote and and to build awareness and all that kind of stuff yeah. on on every level locally and and uh non but um i noticed your your dual um degree is in business and songwriting mm -hmm. um so are well, we going to, are there more originals, Mia Asano originals we're going to see in the uh, upcoming months or years? Yes. Yes. There's lots <laughs> of original stuff in the works. Um, so my, my, technically my major was, I was a performance major and a professional music major with concentrations in business and songwriting. So oh within one of my majors, my concentrations wow. were, yeah, it's like, <laughs> so it's like, like oh my three God. majors, really? Yeah. Like it one was, it was, and another one that's two. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And then also within professional music, I was taking all these like business entrepreneurship and production classes. So like, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was cool. Um, and I'm so grateful that I did that. But yeah, the songwriting thing I did, for me, like, again, that was part of my attempt to like, cause I, I'm, I actually do the singer songwriter thing, but like really kind of secretly, like I don't really um, share the, like my singing songs uh, with people very much. It's more just like, um, I, I've always done it since like the sixth grade. And, and even before that, um, I just love songwriting and I love yeah. lyrics. And um, so that's, that's just, that was just me trying to get better at it. So I could, again, find that passion for music. Um, and then I've translated that into, you know, writing violin songs that I release um, with Lunar being one of them. But yeah. yeah, I have so many more that are coming out. I have um, like in terms of original music, yeah. I'm, I'm working with a bunch of different producers right now um, on a few different singles um, and then hopefully an album. Uh, but then also in the meantime, I have a bunch of EPs that I'm releasing um, as well. One with my Celtic band, Silver Tree, that we just recorded. So that's coming out in the fall. And then um, with my bagpiper friend, Allie, um, Allie the Piper, yeah. uh, we have like 
we're basically starting a band and we have an EP coming out that's covers and also originals. So um, I have a lot of stuff in the works that's all coming yeah. out. I just haven't had time to focus on it because I've been in school, but now, now oh, I have no excuse. Out. Yeah, it's coming. So, but I love <laughs> I love writing music and I love doing it with other people, which is why when I did Lunar, it was a co-write with Jason Anik, who I was my that. professor at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we did it together, and it was so fun. And also, you can hear like his influence in the song, and I, and I really love that because I want to pull like influence from all these other genres into my music. Um, and cool. he's the guy for that for sure. So. For a minute to um to these sort of crises that you dealt with <laughs> of of self-doubt and and the imposter syndrome feeling yeah. um you know that's something that's that is not uh unfamiliar to a lot of musicians at various levels of of their careers not just uh you know when you first get into a a, a tough school um, but how did you cope with it? How, what was your coping mechanism? How did you find your, how do you find your way out of that when you get into that kind of funk? Um, yeah, that's been kind of my biggest roadblock slash life mission over the last few years was kind of figuring out how to handle that. Cause, um, you know, I didn't, again, I, I, I'd experienced it a little bit, like, in high school, like, oh, I didn't get first chair, like, oh, no, and I, I'm, I was comparing myself to people, like, in my orchestra, but it was never as bad as, as this, like, this horrible feeling of, like, I am not good enough, I will never be good enough, I should quit music, right. um, and, and it's really weird, but I don't feel that way anymore, um, and, and I, I, did a lot of self-work on this because, um, you know, and, and I'll probably go down like a little um, rabbit hole about uh, talking about haters and stuff. But what happened is like, I was really already insecure about my playing. And that came from my classical upbringing because like I had entire violin lessons where we'd spend the whole hour working on one measure because I couldn't play it in tune. Yeah, been there. And <laughs> yeah, and but I, that, that, that to this day, that still like haunts me. And it's great because on one hand, it's like, okay, I know how to practice and I know how to prioritize intonation. And my intonation at the time was like stellar because I, that's how I was practicing. But on the other hand, it like kind of ingrained this feeling in me of no matter what you do, it'll never be good enough. And even when it's good enough, it's not good enough because you have to do it perfectly five more times. Um, and that like really kind of ended up holding me back because then I would end up avoiding practicing because I hated that feeling of sitting there for an hour sucking at something, you know? Yep. Um, 
which again I've I've overcome by you have to like go into the fear and the negative feeling and and also just developing a much healthier like practice routine for myself um but yeah so that's where it stemmed from and then you go to music school and everyone's really good and and my improv skills were not where I wanted them to be and I was comparing myself to all these other musicians and um and not just comparing them like com and like comparing myself to them and getting inspired that was the yeah. problem yeah it was comparing myself to them and being oh I'll never be good, that good and instead of being like oh I want to practice more so I can get like it was like wow I should give up because I'll never achieve that and so what I had to do was kind of reframe my whole mindset um and also just accept kind of myself for where I'm at this is what where it ended up getting really hard for me though was like I started getting all these comments on the internet once I started posting my videos that were basically validating all of my insecurities that I already yes. had. Yeah. And so that's why like even more so it wasn't just like I was sitting in the audition room and they were like, oh, you, you played this out of tune or you played this incorrectly or you don't get the chair. It was like random guy on the internet comments on my video, your intonation sucks. Um, and I was like, no, that's the thing I'm already like really insecure about. And now like all these people. And so I had this one video that went like viral on Instagram. It got like 3.5 million views. And yes, I was not playing the most in tune, but like it was good enough. It was like, it was like decent. Um, and, yeah. but everyone just started going off on me in the comments. They were like, you suck. You're not good at the violin. You're, wow. you, what you're doing is like so easy. Anyone can do this. Wow. You're a disgrace to the violin. Like, and, but they were mostly talking about my intonation and it's just like, hmm. at this time, every single little hate comment would get me down so much because yeah. it was valid. I just didn't think I was good enough to be doing what I was doing. Even though the TikTok thing was me trying to come back to me yeah. and love, love the music, you wow. be yourself. Um, it's it, it brought like yeah. it brought on all these new challenges. You know, and it's interesting that social media has that kind of effect on a lot of young kids, especially middle school and high school kids, and especially yeah. girls, um, because yeah. of body image stuff and all of the the way social media um, just makes kids ends up making them feel more insecure uh, and yeah. and worse about themselves um, yeah. and seeing what other people are doing and trying to, you know, live up to other people's expectations, all of that. Uh, it's interesting that that's a musical thing, but it's also a social, you know, musical thing like in school, um, yeah. dealing with other players, but also a social media thing. And then you put the two of those together <laughs> doing yeah. music on social media and it's really is kind of a, you know, kind of a time bomb but and it's interesting that you bring that up because like i grew up i've been on instagram since the seventh grade like you know yeah. i took the formative years and i'm like on there looking at all these like models and comparing myself to them and this is you know yep. something i like to speak to because a lot of my my audience is is young girls yep. um kind of and who, who are looking to me to kind of set the like the framework for like whatever and so I, as a young kid, was looking at these people that I thought were perfect, and I thought I wasn't good enough because I didn't look like them. Yep. And then, actually, only in the last year, there's been this movement of kind of showing influencers and models posed versus, like, how they actually just look like a normal human. And, you know, the human body fluctuates throughout the day, and when you pose in good lighting, you're going to look good. <laughs> Lighting and then is you, like, slouch, yeah <laughs> but then the minute you slouch down you're wearing tight pants like it's you know you look different and yes. so um 
but the reason this kind of just blew my mind one was i was like oh my god we're all humans we all have bad skin and we all like blow and we all like nobody looks perfect all the time but we like live in this society where we're trying to convince everyone online that we are perfect and that our lives are perfect um and that we look good all the time and but we're only showing the good stuff but what's interesting is i made that connection with music as well and i realized i was like oh my god all these violinists that i'm comparing myself to minus the ones that i go see live at the in the symphony but like people on instagram musicians like that's their best take and you don't know how many takes it took them to do that best take. Right. And like, you don't know if they like comped together their recording. And a lot of them do, spoiler alert. Um, when I, it just blew my mind when I, I realized that. And like, you know, it, in a CD or a recording, like that's their best take. And then it's been, the audio has been manipulated to make it even better. Yeah. And it's the same way that models try to make us think that they're like perfect all the time. Yeah. Musicians online do that as well. And like, once I realized that it really helped with this whole like imposter syndrome thing I was feeling. Cause it's like, obviously it's not to say that these musicians are not good at what they do. Cause there's a lot of musicians that like don't do this or whatever. Like I'm sure I don't want to offend any purists out there. Um, but still what you see online, like, even if it's like an unedited take, it's still like, they saw that and they were like, this is good enough for me to put out there. And they're not going to post the really terrible recording where they messed up. Right. Um, but then you see that and you see everyone doing that. And you think that everyone's perfect all the time and that you're not because you mess up sometimes. So, um, yes, yes. And you know, it brings up the whole other artistic choices about what is perfection anyway um you know as a classical violinist as you are um trained you know originally that way you know we strive for perfection we're trying to play the notes in tune in time reading what's the dots on the page and trying to make bring them to life um but you know i'm going to share a quick story when i was uh recording my first record for windham hill i was uh, recording a tune called uh, the beatles tune here comes the sun and mm-hmm. and I played it and and you know I played it as as best I could and with a lot of feeling and and it kind of sounded like smooth jazz to me. It kind of sounded like Kenny G or something. I was like, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, it's all everything is right, but it sure doesn't sound like the way I want it to sound. You know, I wanted to sound like Ray Charles. You know, I wanted yeah. to have some soul and some some cry in it, you know? So, so I scrapped the whole recording that I did and redid it and purposely did it like Ray Charles would do it. Like letting my violin crack, like, you know, purposely doing stuff. Like I, I was a, I'm a huge fan uh, of, of Miles Davis and, you know, he'll play the stuff that's so beautiful, but then you'll hear these just big clams right in the middle you know it's like but in jazz somehow with trumpet players you can get away with that and it's sort of part of the sound and it made me realize that it's part of the sound of jazz and it's not part of the sound of classical music you know where that's sort of everything is perfect and kind of glossy and in jazz there's sort of these edges and rough edges and I realized that that was an artistic choice you know and I was leaning towards that choice of being more real and gutsy and edgy rather than being perfect um and you know i sort of came to this conclusion that art is not about being perfect it's about being a person Mm -hmm. it's about allowing your humanity 
to be shared with other people so they can see that struggle that you went through. When you went for that note, but you didn't hit it. But that's the way most people hit it. <laughs> they go for it and they don't hit it. And so people yeah. relate to that. Uh, and that's a, you know, as long as you can make it part of your art, there's a humanity involved in imperfection uh, that I think is a really important part of my, my artistic, you know, uh, ethic anyway. Yeah, just throwing I, that I, out there for whatever. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because, like, I think that's so important. And like, again, in a lot of certain styles of music, mostly classical music, yeah, there is this strive for perfectionism that I was raised with, and most of us were raised with if we started yeah. um, with a classical background. And it's just not like it's not feasible. It's not like doable. You can't be. I've studied with some like some of the greatest violinists. And even them, when they haven't played it yet that day and they pick up the violin, their first couple <laughs> notes are out of tune. It's not like there's just people out there that play like perfectly yeah. all the time. Like, I don't except, think it's possible. Except for Rachel Barton Pine, who's always. Well, you know, <laughs> there's like one person. <laughs> um, but um, most of the majority of the people and like, of course, we have the really great ones that we aspire to be like. And I think, again, like being inspired by people is one thing. And, and I wouldn't even be having this like saying these things if it was like oh yeah i saw these greats and i was inspired by them and i just practiced really hard and got better but the problem was and i think what happens for a lot of people is is you start comparing yourself to people yeah. and you start thinking like oh i'm never gonna be good enough um but then all those people that you're comparing yourself to are feeling that way as well so it's like this this cycle and so yeah. the way that i got out of it the way yeah. that i broke out of it and this is this is still a day struggle that I must work on because um, you know I, I'm not saying oh I don't have any insecurities like but I just got really real with myself about kind of who I am as an artist and and as a musician and where I'm at and instead of beating up on myself for not being better I just accepted myself for where I am and I tell myself this like I, I used to be very like I would self be very like self-deprecating in an attempt to not seem conceited or arrogant. Um, but I started allowing myself to just say like, I'm good at what I do. Um, and that is my little mantra because it's like, I am good at what I do. Cause I worked really hard on it. Like yeah. I, and I still work really hard on it. And it doesn't mean that I therefore have to be good at everything. Cause I was trying to be good at every single style and yeah. I was miserable. Um, yeah. And the ones that I have worked really hard on, I, I'm, I've gotten a lot better at over the years and that's what I that's what I put out there and the ones that I'm still learning I'm still learning and if I can't do it it just means I haven't practiced it and it means I haven't like worked on it yeah um, and I learned that when I, I studied um, effortless mastery at Berkeley with Kenny Werner and that um, that practice just changed my whole life um, and if you haven't read that book he's he's a brilliant man yeah. um, but that's what he would say was like um, you know if you're not good at something it just means you haven't practiced it yet. And, and I stopped, I stopped attaching my personal like value and self-worth to my abilities. Um, and I was like, okay, I can be yeah. me and I can be a good person and I can be deserving of good things. And I play violin, but I'm not a good person deserving of good things because I play violin. Yes, um, yes, exactly. <laughs> and like, yeah. And like, I don't know. So once I just accepted that, I was like, okay, this is where I'm at. And I stopped stressing all the time about um like upcoming gigs like at the same time i was in this class where it was basically just like intense like advanced jazz concepts and i was like the only like non-jazz person in the room and it was me and a bunch of like saxophonists Ooh, that's um, rough that is rough yeah and 
And so it was a perfect chance to practice this because I would dread every single week. So I was like, oh my God, I'm just gonna have to go and like improvise on concepts that I don't know how to do yeah. surrounded by a bunch of people that already know how to do it for yep. two hours a week. Yep. And so I just decided, I was like, instead of freaking out about this, I'm just gonna like live my week and then I'll go into the class. And this again, straight from Kenny's advice book, um, I'm gonna go into the class and it's gonna be really painful, but it's only gonna be painful for like 30 seconds at a time, which is when I'm so doing the solo. And then I get to leave the class and then I get to go on with my life. And so it's really only about like five minutes out of my week that's gonna be really difficult. And, but that like, that stayed with me because like, now I don't dread like soloing and I don't dread gigs and I don't dread like situations where I'm gonna play because, um, Again, it's like, even if it goes bad, which rarely it ever does, right. um, at least then I'm not worrying about it for like my whole life yeah. um, leading up to it. And so then I can just kind of enjoy my life. I go, I do the thing. Usually it goes very well. And then I wasn't like freaking out about it all week. So yeah. it's, just, it's just advice that has really like, these are just like tidbits of advice that have really helped me. Um, hacks. Yeah. And yeah. you always so do, just, you always do end up doing better when you're not worried about it and relaxed anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Like I used to get so nervous about like gigging, especially um, taking solos. Yeah. And this this was a pandemic thing. Like pre-pandemic, I was like, oh yeah, I'll perform wherever. Then after two years of it of of not doing that, um, coming back into it was really hard. And so that's where this technique um, or this practice helped a lot. And so now it's like, okay, it's like I have a gig. I'm gonna practice for it. I'm gonna do my do the work that I need to do, and then I'm gonna go and do it. And however it goes is how it goes. And if I mess up, I mess up, and that's a one millisecond mistake. Yep. Um, and then I never have to think about it ever again. And um, and also telling myself I'm I'm good at what I do, and having the confidence that like. And so now when I post stuff on social media, I don't like agonize over the perfection of it all. Um, I often I record at the moment. I, I you know there's different ways to film your videos. Right now, most of my stuff I will um, film live, so I'm recording it into Logic as I film the video. Um, and you know, sometimes when you do it that way and you're not like lip syncing over it and you can't like control the, the track, you right. know, I do make some mistakes. Of course. And sometimes I will go back and record, like comp, comp something else together or I'll re-record it. Other times I'll just leave them in there now, like yep. little ones. And if I get a hate comment, it's like, you know what? The hate you doesn't know, bother me. People want to hear what's real. And sometimes they want to hear that just so they can give you shit about it. And sometimes yeah. they want to hear it just because it reminds them that they're real, and and you got to yeah. just ignore ignore the those other people, you know. Yeah, people like have this view of others, especially kind of what I'm what I'm doing because of the the TikTok stigma or the or people's views about like pop music or like whatever. Um, and they'll they'll say they they have this idea of like, oh my God, what she's doing is so easy. Um, I can't believe she's getting more views than, than me or than someone else that yeah. deserves it more because they practice yeah, yeah. more, which is a whole nother tangent. But like, um, again, it's like, I've just learned there's always people that are going to feel that way. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I came from multiple communities now, um, who play these certain styles of music where I was judged by these people, peers of mine, um, for, for doing what I do. And I was like, I, I can't please everyone. And I'm yeah. not. Rachel Barton Pine, but that's okay because you can go listen to her and be blown away. And I'm meant to do 
the Mia thing. Yep. Um, and there's space for everyone, you know, like, um, and, and I would rather like send people's attention towards, if, if someone wants me to play classical music or, or wants to hear classical music, I'm like, I have a million amazing violinists that I can recommend for you to listen to. <laughs> if you want to hear me do it, I, I <laughs> probably don't. Um, and I still play classical music, but I, I don't perform it on that, on that yep. level. And that's, that's okay. But it took yep. me a really long time to yes. realize that that's me too. okay. Me too. <laughs> took me longer than you. But, uh, <laughs> well, well, Mia, you are good at what you do, but we're going to find out here if you are good at playing my game, not my gig. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I warned you about this. I don't think I did. I usually, I warn all my guests, but I somehow forgot to warn you about this. That's fine. That's Sorry. Fine. Um, but here's how it goes. Um, I ask you uh, a couple of trivia questions about something you know nothing about because it's not your gig. Okay. So, uh, so there's zero pressure. If you get anything right, we'll all be amazed. Um, <laughs> okay. That's I love the kind of, that's the kind of game it is. So, Okay. So Mia Asano, who has a huge TikTok hit with a tune called Roses, we're going to find out how much you know about Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you even know who Rosie O'Donnell is, because it's sort of another generation. I've heard her name, but I don't know who <laughs> If what she did. She's a comedian and okay. a talk show person. Okay. Uh, so, good. So, I picked something you really don't know anything about. This is totally not your gig. Okay. Well, Rosie got her first break in 1984 on which big TV talent show? Was it A, Star Search, B, the British show New Faces, or C, American Idol? Please tell me it was American Idol, but I feel like it was probably A. You think maybe A is the right answer? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I can't. I don't <laughs> well, know. Well, you are right. Wait, it is A. Oh, really? Oh, good. <laughs> it is <Okay>. Star Search. <laughs> yeah, I knew that the whole time. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rosie was once considered for one of these TV roles. Was it A? <laughs> I don't even know if you're going to know what these roles are. Uh, a. Peggy Bundy from Married with Children. Ever heard of it? Maybe. No. <laughs> um, Elaine from Seinfeld. I know you've watched Seinfeld. I know. I know Seinfeld. Or Rachel from Friends, the show Friends. Rosie O'Donnell is Rachel. Um, I'm going to go with the first one because I don't know what it is. <laughs> Peggy Bundy. She would have made a very interesting Peggy Bundy. Uh, but no, it was Elaine from Seinfeld. Really? Oh, that's so interesting. But okay. she didn't well, get the gig, clearly. Um, otherwise, I'd know who she is. Okay. Uh, here's a sort of a random one. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, is she an oldest, middle, or youngest <laughs> child? <laughs> um, I'll go with youngest. Middle. Close. Okay. This, I'm sorry if this is too much like a end of exam final. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like my secret last final. <laughs> the last final from Berkeley. I okay, I got it. one more question for you. One more quick question. And Rosie has done a lot of uh, a, a lot of philanthropic, wonderful work. Which of these is the name of Rosie's charitable organization? Is it A. Rosie's For All Kids Foundation, B. Rosie's Broadway Kids, 
or C, the Children's Plaza and Family Center? Ooh, um, I just like the the A one. I like the name of it. It is A, Rosie's Yay! for All Kids Foundation. You are absolutely correct. Woo! Yeah. Rosie O'Donnell expert. <laughs> now you're going to have to go Wikipedia, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, like, who is this? I'm just picturing Judge Judy, so I don't know who I'm thinking. <laughs> well, Mia, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. This is awesome and wonderful insights that I know a lot of people, young people especially, are going to relate to and uh, appreciate your thoughts. So thanks for sharing them with us today on the Greater Groove Podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you dug what we're talking about and you want to dig in deeper, please check out the For the Greater Groove Facebook group where I post about each of my guests and where you can leave your comments and opinions. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you're digging the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave me a rating or a review. Thanks a lot and groove on. Mm-hmm.